discussion with Dr. Farid Holaku. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulaku, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week from this past week, the book of the week for this week is The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind, My Tale of Madness and Recovery by Barbara K. Lipska, The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind. And so, uh, as the title suggests, it's about a neuroscientist who developed melanoma and that affected her functioning cognitively. And um, she describes her experience of going through the cancer, how it affected her and how she recovered. So, uh, looking forward to reading that book and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. But the book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is... The Personality Brokers, The Strange History of Myers-Briggs, and the Birth of Personality Testing by Merve Emery. And I hope I'm saying that right. The author actually gave me a little um, phonetic spelling on Twitter, so thank you for that. Uh, But this book, The Personality Brokers, The Strange History of Myers-Briggs, and the Birth of Personality Testing, was really interesting uh, looking at the history of how this test, personality inventory, if you want to call it that, or the MBTI as it's commonly known, the Myers-Briggs type indicator, because sometimes they don't want to call it a personality test per se, but they call it a type indicator. But I didn't know actually anything really about the history of the development of this test, and I wouldn't have imagined it unfolded the way it has, and she does a great job describing that history in this test. Something she says near the end of the book is that most people would probably assume that Myers and Briggs are the name of two men who developed this personality test and would not imagine it's actually a mother and a daughter uh, who made this test together, the mother's name and then the daughter's name when she got married, um, Catherine and Isabel. But it was a quite fascinating look into how the test developed. And also, I always think it's interesting to look at how, whether it's a theory or in this case, something like a personality test, how it gets developed. Because sometimes when something exists and has existed for a while, we assume it's almost come from the sky and it's some kind of truth. So we just think, okay, this Myers-Briggs test, I've heard about it so many times, it must be really something that has a truth to it with a capital T that was created and somehow we know for sure it's telling us something real. When really, when you look at the test, you see that it was created by, as um, is mentioned in the book, essentially amateurs when it came to the world of psychology as far as having any education, formal education in psychology. Um, but really the perseverance and determination of these two women to help create it and then also what happened afterwards um, that helped make it more of a commercial success, which is why it's so common. I remember hearing people say 
or even ask me, oh, what are you? What's your type? And she mentions that in the book. And they would even guess sometimes, oh, you look like an INTJ, or you look like a whatever the other types you, you can be are, um, and have these conversations about what people were like. And so those four things, basically when you take the test, you get, there's four different categories with two different types you can be within each category and then together those four letters you become become your type so there's introversion extroversion that's one sensing intuition that's another thinking feeling is the third and then judging perception or perceiving those are the four types and so you get basically one of those labels and together one of those uh, out of those four you become a four-letter combination that is supposed to describe your personality and it's amazing because this test is used in big companies, corporations, schools, um, the military, all sorts of places use this test. But really, I researched it myself trying to look up the validity of the test as far as what it's measuring, even things like test, retest, reliability, meaning that if you take the test once and then you take it again two months later or five months later, it should give you the same results, but people don't always get the same results. So scientifically, there's not a lot of evidence showing that this personality test is doing what people think it's doing. Or again, they might not want to call it a personality test, but a type indicator. But really, most people think of it as a personality test. Um, and it turns out there's not a lot of scientific backing for it, but yet people are very uh, adamant that it's an important thing and people that are in the company itself or people that are in the type business or that are promoting the Myers-Briggs, they're very uh, almost religious about the way they talk about it. And speaking of this almost religious type of mindset when it comes to this, this test, really it starts from uh, Catherine, the mother of the duo, Catherine and Isabel. And when she learns of Jung's theories, she is mesmerized. And when she reads one of his books, she um, thinks that this is some kind of truth. And she was a very religious woman herself. But then upon reading his book, um, I think it was Psychological Types, that book really just changed her. And in a way, she had this almost religious conversion to him. And even he became this obsession for her, uh, even maybe sexually or romantically, um, but she, he became a personal God to her and thought that he, she thought that he had found some kind of truth about human beings, that he understood people. And I actually am a big fan of Jung. He um, does have a lot of really important and interesting uh, insights about human beings and our psyches that I think are quite fascinating. But uh, the way she talks about him as a God is quite interesting and reminded me of how I've talked about this on recent shows that we shouldn't make a God out of anyone. We shouldn't make someone a God or turn them into something more than human. But we see this happening all the time currently and even in history. And we see that happen there. And another, uh, sometimes consequence of when we turn people into gods is also things that are shared in the book about how Jung, maybe because he was, um, influenced by the power he was getting and, and the admiration he was getting seemed to do certain things that were definitely unethical. Now, it was a different time, but doing things like dating and having sexual relationships with patients and, the, and also having a 
wife and a mistress and having them live together and saying that actually they're both happy because they take care of different needs of mine and it's some kind of balance that makes sense. But anyway, um, but the fact that he becomes this God to her does in a way set her on this mission to help create this Myers-Briggs type indicator, these personality tests, so to speak, based on his work. And she thought that similar to a missionary who thinks that all the world should know about their religion, she felt that the whole world should know about this personality test or about his work to begin with, um, but also uh, that this personality test could help people um, first know themselves and understand themselves. And based on that, they could leave, lead the best life for themselves, both in things like the job and career that they chose and also even the partner that they selected. So we see that the, um, the, the personality type indicator developed just really haphazardly from questions that first were created. And even when you look at the test, sometimes you see the questions are a little bit odd and peculiar. And I think what's interesting, again, when you look at how something is developed, it gives you a different perspective. Because I think most people, if they don't know much about personality testing or they just are looking from the outside, they think, okay, there's some truth about these tests. So if it asks them a question that sounds really peculiar, they just think, okay, somehow they know that based on how I answer this question, it tells them something about me. Um, but the truth is that can be the case to a certain extent, but a lot of times when personality tests, this one included, are created, it's really the subjective experiences of people that tells them what they think different things mean or what they think a certain answer to a question is going to tell us about someone, but not necessarily some kind of truth about them. And so the history, of course, I, I can't go over most of, it even, uh, most of it even in this short amount of time, but it's really fascinating to see how Catherine, the mother, first started it, but then later on her daughter, Isabel, carried it forward um, and then really took it to the places where it eventually allowed for it to become much more commercially used. But there are some estimates that one to two million people a year are taking this Myers-Briggs type indicator which I think is really interesting. And so I was thinking about what fascinates us so much about these types of things and about getting a label. And for some people, it can be really interesting because when they learn about who they are, as far as what, and this is what the test is telling them, basically meeting yourself, which is somewhere in the book. I forgot if that was actually an article written by Catherine. Um, when you meet yourself, we tend to have this fe good feeling about, oh, this is who I am. I am an extrovert and I'm a sensing type person, and I'm a this kind of type person, and it can feel good to get in touch with who we are, to understand who we are. Also, when we get that label, and we know that this is one of the 16 possibilities, it reminds us, or it's telling us that there's many other people in the world that are also like you. So in that way, you don't feel alone. You feel like there are others like you. And so for a lot of us, when we've been told in different ways from childhood and beyond, that there's things that are wrong about who you are, or don't be this way, or don't be that way, or don't be so sensitive, for example, or don't be so, um, you know, judgmental in this way, or don't be so uh, feeling or thinking type as these, the different labels can be. It can be something nice to know that there's a label that has that. And also the way the test was promoted was that we're not trying to tell you who's good or bad, and none of the types are better or worse, although clearly there are preferences you can tell. Um, by the people who made the tests, but nonetheless, the way they describe it is there isn't better 
or worse. So we're just finding out who you are. And there's something about that that I actually think is quite nice and beautiful when you look at it. And something I try to talk about on the show is that we should try to understand who we are and love ourselves for who we are. doesn't mean that we say everything about us is perfect and good and the best. We always want to work and improve on ourselves, but we want to understand who we are and get a sense of what that means and then try to live that the best way that we can. And especially I tell this to parents that when you look at your kids, recognizing that they're going to be different, but don't make them feel bad for being different or show a preference for one over the other or show a preference for them to become a certain way. Um, if they are, and this is a label that the Myers-Briggs has is an extrovert versus introvert, which some people even, there's some controversy if, if that test really is measuring extroversion and introversion or just social skills or sociability. But nonetheless, if one of your children is more introverted, let's say, let's say you go to a party and one of your kids runs and goes plays with kids as soon as they walk in the door. But the other one stands by the door by your leg and looks around a little bit and takes a little bit of time to get comfortable and then slowly they start to play. A lot of times in, uh, in the great book by Susan Cain, Quiet, she talks about how we tend to prefer extroverts. A lot of parents will think, no, it's better to go run and play and make friends. Why should you be nervous or shy or whatever label you put on your kid and sit back? But I think it's so important as a parent to make both of your kids feel good for being the way they are. Now, if they want to grow or even let's say the one who stands by your leg says, I want to be able to go in or I want to do this, you can help them if they want to improve in that way that they want to get uh, improved, if they consider it that way. But your job is to make sure they don't feel better or worse, that they shouldn't be the way that they are. So that part of these uh, types of personality tests, I can like if it's not about judging better or worse, but understanding who we are and then loving who we are. And what's interesting, and there's some irony in this though, when people take these personality tests, they sometimes will say, I took the test and I saw who I am and that made me become better, a better person. But if the personality test is measuring who you are, then that is who you are. There isn't a changing of that. And that's sometimes the assumption that a lot of these personality tests have, including the Myers-Briggs, is that it's innate essentially, or that it's at a certain age, it's set exactly when that is. I don't know if it's made clear, but it's set your personality and it can't change at all, um, which I think there's some truth to that, that people don't change a lot, but people definitely do change. Life changes them, experiences change them, people can grow in different ways. Of course, I'm a psychologist, so I do therapy, so I believe that people can have changes, doesn't mean probably you're going to change someone 180 degrees from who they were, but that they can have some changes that they make. So that's another thing that I don't always agree, along with the fact that these tests usually are self-report, meaning that they ask you, are you this way? Are you that way? And of course, there can be so many biases when it comes to self-report. Oftentimes, I think people report what they want to be or what they think the person wants them to be rather than just who they actually are. So the accuracy of self-report is always up to question as well. Um, and so that can affect things also. But the book is a quite interesting exploration of this history of this test. And like I said, when we look at a theory, when you look at an instrument that is used to measure anything, personality, intelligence, understanding the history of it, understanding the cultural context, um, the 
personal histories of the individuals who developed it. And that's what I thought was really interesting about this book can tell us so much. So when you understand even Carl Jung and his own child, his own life and the history he was living in, um, that can affect how you view his theory, similar to Sigmund Freud, who his obsession with sexuality could be very much related to the Victorian era that he lived in where sex was so repressed. So that affected the theories that he had. But until we understand the personal history and also the um, actual contextual history, the environmental history of the person developing the theory or developing the personality test, we don't know as much. We think of it as some kind of absolute truth and we don't take a step back to see the bigger picture. And I think all of us wish there was a way for someone to just know that who we are, or I think, you know, similar to, um, these personality tests at times is the draw of astrology where people want just by their birth date or month or time of the year, understand who they are. And they're looking for that. And people get so excited. Yeah, that that's exactly how I am, or I'm this way, or I'm that way. And there's such an appeal to that. So we're looking for something. And these personality tests, I think, sometimes try to do that in a way that makes it seem so scientific. So it can appeal to someone who says, oh, I don't believe in astrology because that's pseudoscience. I believe in personality tests. But a lot of times these personality tests are pseudoscience. There's not a lot backing them. There are some, the big five personality tests seems to have more validity, but I was doing some research and even still, to me, that's a little bit questionable as far as how um, useful it can be. Uh, but anyway, we are looking for someone to tell us who we are, which I think is quite interesting because to me, who we are is not going to, at the end of the day, be a four letter label or type. It's going to be more of an understanding of who we are that's much more complex than that. So as nice as it can be to get a label that we think simplifies things, I think people are much more complex and getting to know yourself or getting to know someone else is much more than just uh, those letters. But again, a great book. I'd highly recommend it um, about the development of the Myers-Briggs Briggs, uh, personality type indicator. I thought it was going to get more into the validity issues it was it's touched upon and also other personality tests. But I think that wasn't the focus of this book it was more about the history of the development of these, uh, this, uh, personality type indicator, but I'd highly recommend it. That was the personality brokers, the strange history of Myers-Briggs and the birth of personality testing by Mervé M. Ray. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, Dr. Fai. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, I'm calling. I wanted some advice on this situation. Okay. Um, I've been dating this guy for a year, and recently he told me that he's going to a wedding, a destination let me, wedding. Let me stop you for a second. If you could speak a little bit loud, more loud, we can't hear you so well. Oh, yeah. Can you hear me better? A little bit, even, yeah, it's a little bit better. Yeah, okay, go ahead. As long if you can maybe project your voice as if you're on Broadway or something, a little bit louder, yeah. Okay, um, so I've been dating this guy for a year, and recently his mom actually told me that he's going to this destination wedding, and it's just him, his two brothers, and his dad. Okay. Um, I personally 
am not too comfortable with it just because he's 30 years old and I feel like... And how old are you? Sorry, what? How old are you? I'm 23. 23, okay. And it's been one year, okay. So going to a destination wedding, he's going with his dad and you said brothers? His two brothers and his mom. And mom, okay. And I, it's, they're, they're all, we're all Iranian, so I know how Iranian weddings are. It's where you go to, like, meet people. And as a 30-year-old, I feel like that's not very appropriate, but I don't know if I'm being too extreme. Okay. So you don't want him to go to the wedding at all? Well, I said that I feel like if you have someone, then you should have them with you at that wedding. Okay. So I felt like it's very odd as a 30-year-old and he doesn't get a plus one or anything. Um, Well, I mean, I I don't... There's a lot of things, obviously, we need to look at. One is, just to begin with, as far as weddings go, sometimes people don't get a plus one, or if their whole family is going, they might not have that. Um, And different people do different things, but some cultures, they... And some people, obviously, it's an individual thing, will bring a date to the wedding, and that's not a big deal. And for some people, it could be a bigger deal that they don't do until they're engaged or until they're married or something like that. So it depends on the individual. But we can get into the specifics of, okay, should you go to this wedding or not, or should he go? And I think, obviously, there are some issues of trust coming up, of how you feel about him going to a wedding do people meet each other at weddings? Yes, but does someone have to or have to have bad intentions or something has to happen? Of course not. So trust is one issue. And then also how you're feeling about him in general, as far as commitment goes, maybe that's an issue we have to look at too. Right. So how do you feel? You said it's been one year. How do you feel in the relationship as far as how he shows you commitment, how he um, takes care of you, attention, those kinds of things? Does this come up? Right. So, yeah, I feel like we're very serious. Like, our families are family friends. I've known his mom many years. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of those things where we've known each other. We we, we, are, we get along really well. Our personalities are good. We have fun when we're together. Um, so this is kind of like a shock that he is going to the wedding without me. Um, so if he, first- you're saying he should take you for sure or not go? That's what I feel. Okay. I, I loves you they don't go to things without him there's a lot of things where he's controlled me he's told me he doesn't like me going out with my friends he Mm. doesn't like me going on trips without him so i expect the same thing back okay so that's yeah now i'm glad you're adding that because that um adds a little bit to that if you're saying that if he has an expectation from you then Mm -hmm. it's only fair that he also follows through in that same way Okay, so he doesn't want you to go... When you say go out, what do you mean? Like go to a bar or a club without like, him? What, for like my birthdays, uh, my friend's birthdays, they go out to these like lounges and um, uh, he doesn't like that at all. So he says you shouldn't go to like a lounge if it's if he's not there? Correct. Okay. And so, and, and the, as far as the history of your guys' relationship, you've been not going or what do you do? Or he just is upset but you go anyway? Okay, so let's let's backtrack for a second. You were you it was a friend's birthday and did they say like don't bring your boyfriends or something? No 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 that instance wasn't a birthday. That instance was just a random night out. Okay, like a girls' night out. 
yeah, yeah. Okay, and you wanted to go, and it was at a lounge. Right. And he said, if you go, our relationship is done. Correct. Okay. And that, to me, does sound a little extreme. So I yeah. can see, and uh, this is why, you know, you asked the question initially, and my initial reaction was, you know, he definitely should be able to go to this wedding without you. But, and maybe that still will be the case. But now we're getting a little bit more of the complexity of your relationship with him, which is that he's putting some expectations on you that you feel like he himself is not uh, following through on on the same end. So did you guys, did it end there when he said you either you go or we break up? Or did you guys have a conversation about why he doesn't want you to go, what it means to him? Like where, I hope that conversation didn't just end with him making that essentially demand or threat. No, I- I, we did talk about it and I kind of understood like I'm the same way I, I when I have someone I like to do those things with them so I didn't even like fight it but I did say like I expect the same thing when it comes to you you I don't want you going out without me or doing things without me okay and what did he say and he understood but I mean for the most part until this wedding there was one instance where he did actually go out when I was out of town mm-hmm and so that was a little bit of a, it did blow up a little bit, but then, yeah. I mean, I let it go because it, it was fine. Well, maybe it's not fine, and that's part of the issue. But, you know, it's interesting, you, you said a word earlier, you're like, you know, if you're with someone, you like to go places with them. That's great. You right. should like to go lots of places with your partner. The problem here is you guys are saying you can't go without me. That's a little yeah. bit different than liking. It's great. You should definitely like to spend time with each other, like each other's company, like going to friends' birthdays and things, all that stuff. But the problem I'm seeing is that this it's forbidden for anyone to go out without the other one. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, partners can come up with whatever they feel okay with. But we do have to be aware of, first of all, where it's coming from. So, I'm, you know, people can say this is our rule. That's up to you and him. Um, but we have to look at where is it coming from. Is it a trust issue? Is it an issue of like some kind of respect that you guys, you know, can have some people depending on cultures. I mean, you sound fairly Americanized from how you're talking, but this does seem like a very older school, traditional type of mentality that you can't be somewhere without the other person. Uh, that That's the part that I'm concerned about. Are there trust issues that come up anywhere else in the relationship? So I want to say there's trust issues between us but the first time I did see him at a party we hadn't met um, I've known his mom but I hadn't known him Um, he was actually his mom brought the brother to introduce me to Mm -hmm. and the brother is in a relationship with some girl for four years they're not engaged or anything either and she wasn't she wasn't allowed to come to the party so to me that was also very eye-opening like the fact that the girl, the, he has a girlfriend and she wasn't there and the mom brought him up to introduce me. I found out later when I started talking to his, when I started dating his brother, that this was the situation. And that just made me so uncomfortable. And hmm. that's when I realized that I kind of, this is when it hit me that I don't want him going to the wedding. Because if that happened hmm. with a four-year girlfriend, I can only imagine like me, that's one year. I see. So you, even if he's not going to do much you have this thought that his mom is going to be bringing girls over or introducing him to girls right i feel like it's a um persian mom mentality okay there, and that could be the case sometimes where uh, depending on how they feel about the relationship you have 
with their son or daughter. It's like this, well, you know, you're not married yet, so let's still find you someone that I think is better for you. That does happen sometimes. We don't know if that's the case with her. I don't know enough about what was going on with that the brother's girlfriend and that whole situation. But so we can see there's these issues of the trust, the comfort with each other. To me, as far as a long-term plan, the idea that neither of you can go out with each other is not a good thing. It's not the sign of a strong relationship or to me, it's going to lead more to issues rather than, um, mm -hmm. you know, something good. And it, it, it speaks more to a lack of feeling strong together rather than, uh, you know, for some people they can maybe to me convince themselves, but not, this isn't the case for me, but they convince themselves it's because we love each other so much or because we're so close, we can't go anywhere without each other. But that's, again, there's a difference between liking and forbidding something, the op forbidding the opposite, you know, and that's, mm -hmm. that's my concern. So I think as much as you said, oh, you know, he told me not to go and he forbid me to go and I didn't go. And, and then another time he went out and it was fine. I think you weren't so fine with some of these things that were happening. And this is why we always want to bring up issues when they're happening, because if we don't, then they linger and they can fester and become bigger problems down the line. And I think that's what you're right. dealing with now, where you're like, how dare you even think about going to this wedding without yeah. me after I wasn't allowed to go to girls' nights and other things because of you. This seems like mm -hmm. a double standard or seems unfair. So I, I think there's been some things festering. And even for you, this um, mindset that you think maybe his mom has or their family has, of like how they look at the relationships in general seems that it concerns you that doesn't give you a very stable feeling so this idea of them going to a destination wedding so it's far away it's a wedding so people are you know i'm not trying to scare you these are what i'm imagining you're thinking but people are meeting each other then his mom of course is going to have an eye out for all the the single women for her son whatever um so it seems like all that stuff makes it very scary for you when you think of him going and so this is the problem is that for both of you when your feelings come up, rather than dealing with the feelings, you've tried to control each other. So let's say you want to go to a lounge. Maybe it makes him feel jealous, insecure, or he gets worried about, okay, or whatever he's feeling. But instead of dealing with that, it was just, you just can't go. And that was the, how you guys dealt with it. it was controlling rather than realizing yeah. that the ultimate solution you guys have to come to will be that you can live your lives and then communicate about the things that are happening and both have some level of freedom and flexibility to be because i think you need to have girls nights even if you guys are married you need to be able to have girls mm -hmm. nights and he needs to be able to go out with his guy friends but it's become this taboo for you guys mm -hmm. so when you look at your relationship with him also the mindset of where you guys are at are you looking for marriage with him do you guys talk about those things yeah i mean i we talk about marriage all the time we um, in my family, it's kind of a, my sister's 10 years older than me. She got married right at the one-year mark. So in my family, it's like my mom doesn't let us date for more than a year. Okay. She believes that you kind of know. A year, like plus or minus, but just generally it's one year. You know if you're going to be with that person or not. She doesn't like us wasting our time. Well, you know, it's not about wasting your time, but even the way you said it, your mom doesn't like and she's making decisions for you guys. That's a little bit concerning for me too, the way you talked about it. And um, mm -hmm. so we, we're seeing on both sides some mom or parental interference. 
as far as things go and you know that can be an issue so it seems like you also have your mom's voice in your head or sometimes not just in your head but out of your head telling you things because she might be trying to get involved and that can create more pressure on you as far as how do you approach it like you said wasting your time so then you have this pressure and this ticking clock like i have to know i have to know and then you're going to tell him he has to know he better do something soon or else I have to like leave him immediately because he's wasting my time. And well, it's not like that. Okay. I wouldn't say it's like I don't ever like display it on him or make it like it's kind of one of those things where I believe in as well to some extent. I feel like I can sense where our relationship is right now. We're at ten months right now, so I feel like within the next two months I'll kind of have a feel. And I feel like for us, we have been talking about marriage. We have talked about we went ring shopping we've been very serious about it so the fact that we go ring shopping then i don't know how you can just leave me and go to a wedding it just it all just doesn't really add up correctly just for me well you know i mean yeah that's obviously that's serious i don't know ring shopping in what how serious that was but even still sometimes with weddings if people are not married, sometimes they won't have a plus one. So to me, it's not like him not, if you can't go, would it mean necessarily it's totally wrong? I don't know who the family is that's getting married. Sometimes a destination wedding, they don't have a lot of guests. So there's there's these details, but that's why I think it's more about how you're feeling about him in general. Now, we're at a commercial break, but I don't want us to stop the conversation here. So I'm going to put mm-hmm. you on hold. We'll come back. Think a bit more about the worries, the, the concerns you have about the relationship other than just this incident of what's going on because i'm sure more is going on and then we'll we'll continue after the break okay okay all right we'll be right back welcome back let's go back to the caller caller are you still there Okay. So um, you're telling me about you and your boyfriend. You've been together about 10 months. You're 23. He's 30. Uh, and the most recent pressing issue is that he's been invited with his family to a destination wedding. And you are not happy about the fact that he would go without you. And so then we got into some of the issues you guys have in your relationship, how you guys handle certain things related to going out and all those kinds of things. But I asked you before the break about what are some concerns you have in the relationship in general, and I wanted to give you a chance to to share what's on your mind. Um, another concern I have is that he still lives at home okay. with his parents. His older brother still lives at home with his parents as well. He's 32. Uh-huh. Um, I find that, I don't know, for me that's kind of odd and I am trying to get him to move out and be on his own, but I feel like it's kind of like the mom in, doesn't want to let them go. Okay. So it seems like you have some concerns about the mom being uh, controlling or too involved or having her own agenda about things. But then here's the thing is that then you get into this push and pull where you're saying, I'm trying to get him to do this. I'm trying to get him to do this. And so then it becomes over who's going to control him more, you or his mom. And that's not going to work. He has to want to do what he wants to do because he thinks it's right. Um, Mm -hmm. And so getting into that tug of war is probably going to backfire on you anyway. Like if you try to make it you against the mom and then put him in the middle you probably are just going to get in a tug of war where you just ruin him or ruin your relationship with him more than likely. Not that I'm saying you can't want anything or you can't ask for anything, but that if you try to 
overpower her, you probably will get yourself in more trouble and get to a better place. But you're worried about, I mean, he's 30 and in Persian culture, that's not so old for living at home. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems like you don't like that. I think maybe it's not just about him living at home now that you're going into it more about, well, what does that mean about living at home? But more about you probably want him to be away from his mom. Mom, I actually really okay. like his mom. Um, that's not the problem. The problem is I feel like he's too nurtured, like he's too babied. He needs. I feel like someone doesn't really learn how to be on their own feet until they live on their own and, okay. and kind of do their own thing. What does he do as far as career or is he in school? So he's a dentist. Okay. Um, and he has like his own practice or he works with other people. No, he works for someone else. Okay, and then what are you doing? I'm currently trying to go to dental school. I just applied. Okay. All right, so you're waiting for that. And so you want him to move out of the house, and that's one of the concerns you have. Is there any other concerns you have about him or about the relationship? Another one is his diet is very extreme. Okay. Always, ever since I started dating him, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but slowly I'm starting to see it's still going on. Right now, he's lost over, I want to say, 30 pounds, mm-hmm. but he's tall, so it it's starting to look a little too skinny to me. And I actually convinced him to go see a therapist because I am really concerned that this is serious. He has always had an extreme diet, whether it was eating too much, and now it's, like, very strict, eating really little amounts. And so that's one okay. of my biggest so, concerns. So you're worried he has an eating disorder? I think he does. I mean, I, I sent him to the – I pushed him to do the therapist to see. He also does think it's a problem, so that's why he did agree to go to the therapist to see what the problem is. I think it could be an eating disorder. Not that extreme, mm-hmm. but – it is concerning. Okay, so there's something with the, the eating concerns you. Are there other areas where he's extreme or like black and white? With, um, I would just with the diet. Other than that, everything is pretty normal. Okay. Um, I mean, he does make decent amount of money, so he likes to buy things for himself, but... I would say that's it. Okay, but that doesn't concern you too much. And yeah, so that's also maybe why the living at home, because it seems like you're saying financially is okay. Right. That's that's the reason why it kind of like shocked yeah. me. I'm yeah. like, you do make money. So. And he does, so he does make enough to live on his own. For sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I can, that's different. I mean, if someone is still studying or is not making a lot of money and lives at home, that's different than if they have enough money and they um, decided to live at home anyway. And you said the brother also who's older than him or younger? Yeah, his older brother lives at home as well. He's a physician as well, so he makes good money too. Yeah, so there there does seem to be some dependency. I, mean, I don't know the, the, all the details, but there's a little bit of that when you have everyone living at home, even once they're professional and able to, to afford their own house um, or own, own living. Um and then I, I want to go back to something you said about ring shopping, because what does that, I'm trying to, I mean, I know what that actually means, but what does that mean for you guys? Because ring shopping means that a proposal is on the horizon and it's somehow been discussed. So I'm wondering if that's come up or if it's just 
going ring shopping so he knows your preferences just for someday in the future? Um, so both. It is, he did say he is thinking about it. He wants, in, within the next, like, three to six months, he's looking into it. Um, and I, so we kind of just went, because we do think that we are a good match for each other. We, we've been on trips together as well. So we've spent a decent amount of time to know that we're compatible to an extent. I still think that we still have a little bit more we need to learn about each other. So mm -hmm. that's why the three to six months, I think, is a good amount of time to figure that out. But he is someone I see a future with. So we did go for the, the fact of getting engaged soon and also because um, just to see my preferences as well. Okay. Um, so you're not so sure you'd, you guys are a good match, but you see some good things. Are a match, but certain things do concern me. The diet and just I want someone that's sensitive to my feelings. So like I feel like him going to Cancun is not sensitive. Mm -hmm. So there are just these little things that I am still waiting to see how yeah. he like responds to them. Well, how else is he not sensitive to your feelings? I mean, I just honestly just the Cancun thing is it's been our fight for the past six months. Because it's it's a big deal to me. So this wedding, they've know. they've been planning to go on this wedding for six months. Yeah. So he from the beginning he told me he came to my house actually to my whole family. He told me there's this wedding we're going to um, with my family, and I asked him about it. And he said, "Yeah, I'm not going to go unless I can bring you." And he kept repeating that for like four months. He's repeated it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then just like two months ago, his mom came to my house and said. You know what? Like, I already bought the tickets, and um, Wait, so hold going. on. Like, let me know oh, if there's anything I can do. Yeah, but hold on. The mom came to your house to tell you? Yeah, it was like we had, like, a family gathering, and we were all sitting and talking, and she was sitting next to me, and she just kind of, like, just said it straight on right, right. there. Right, but I mean, I, I'm having a little bit of issue with the mom telling you and him not telling you. Right, so I actually did bring that up to him. I said that I feel like... I should have heard this from you. You were telling me you were going to take me, mm -hmm. and now your mom comes to me. And his mom keeps saying that he's, like, scared to tell me things because he's scared that he's going to upset me. But I don't know why because I feel like everyone knows me as a very friendly, jolly person. I, I guess he just doesn't want to make me mad. He's scared to lose me. But, I mean, I don't feel like I show signs that I'm someone he can't talk to. Well, uh, I mean, that's not a good sign. Doesn't mean you're the problem or he's the problem, but there's some problem there where he feels like he can't tell you. Now, the, also the problem is that you're saying, we can understand not that I'm saying he shouldn't have told you, he absolutely should have, but you are now saying, well, if you don't go with me, you're going to break up. So we can get that he was a little scared to tell you because he thought you would be very upset. And I could see why when he's telling you for months, that he's going to go only if he can go with you, and then that changes. I, I think yeah. that is an issue, his mom telling you. Yeah. Because that's something about, you know, it does come back to this, him living at home and things and being a little bit too involved with the family, that that's absolutely a conversation that if you and have him can't have, then you guys really can't have a relationship. You know, in eight years, if something happens with the mortgage, his mom can't come to tell you like the news or something, you know, right. he, has, he has to be able to talk to you. So that does concern me. And it's not about figuring out who's at fault. Are you the sensitive one or the explosive one, or is he the hiding one or whatever, but something you, that's something you guys have to look at 
more closely. Again, to me, the wedding, I can get you care about it and it can be important, but it's more important these issues underlying what's going on, like the issues of trust, the issues of freedom that you both need to have in your relationship, in your life in general, uh, the feelings of where he's at in his life as far as, you know, you're saying he wants to get married soon, but then the way he is with his mom and living at home I could see how that would concern you, and I don't know how ready he is. Also, I mean, I'm not that age itself is going to dictate this, but you are 23, and that is definitely on the younger side as far as getting married goes. But you seem very determined, and the feeling I get when you talk about getting married, um, it has some feeling of the finish line type of feeling that people can have when it comes to getting married. Like it's just something they have to do, and tr cross it off the list, and then be like, "I did this," you know. And even from your mom, the the, the, the saying of wasting time or doing this, like it has this pressured feeling to it that I don't think is healthy and good when it comes to figuring out a relationship and making sure it's the right one. I don't know. Am I hearing something in the background? No, sorry. If it's my dog, I was Oh, it's your dog. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so those, those are some things I have, I have concern about. And even the way you talked about, I mean, when he was first coming to you about this wedding, you, it must have been a few months into the relationship, like four months into the relationship. And maybe if you guys were family friends, it felt more serious from the beginning. So I don't yeah. know exactly what, what's going on there. Um, but to me, you going to this wedding, maybe it won't happen. I hope you won't make that a deal breaker itself. But it's I did at first. Yeah. But and then I quickly, like, I thought about it, and I, I even told him, because I feel like when you do make it a, a ultimatum, it kind of makes them want to do it more. So I kind of told him, I said, I love you, I don't want to lose you, but I hope you, like, do consider how I feel about it. Yeah, and how you, how you consider, how you feel is very important, and you guys need to talk about that. Now, he might still do something you don't like, because you guys can't just base it on the other person's feelings only. Because let's say you want to go out for a girl's night and he doesn't like it or he might have feelings. I would want you to talk to him about it, you know, work on it, of course, see what other issues are going on as far as trust and stability in the relationship. But then let's say you still go and he doesn't love it or he doesn't like it. That can be okay. So you can't just say, oh, you don't like something? I'm not going to go. You don't like, I, I'm instantly going to not do something because you don't like it. That fast of a reaction is not going to work because in general, life is not like that. You know, maybe one morning you yeah. want to go to breakfast and he wants to go play you know something with his friends and he wants to go do that and he doesn't go to breakfast and you don't like it now if he's breaking plans with you that's different but you just might like something that he doesn't like and that's okay um but to me this the issue of the wedding it's bringing up some bigger issues of of trust and of, and of this overall way you guys deal with each other which to me is is not healthy it's more about control and rather than using ultimatums and threats i think it's more important to get to the feeling so rather than saying either you don't go or we break up i would rather you share with him what you're feeling i feel that it was unfair that you kept telling me you're only going to go unless i you won't go unless i can go i think it's yeah. very unfair that instead of telling me that and then tell him what how you felt it hurt my feelings that your mom told me instead of you because of blah 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 i felt like we don't have good communication. You don't feel comfortable with me or whatever the feelings right. are. So the, the ultimatums, even if you, that's why I'm saying the wedding to me itself is not as important as what's underneath is because let's say you say either you go or we break. If you go, we break up. Let's say he doesn't go. You guys still have the issues that are there. It doesn't solve or resolve everything. It's just one incident. You guys check off and now the next thing is going to come up. So I would use this as a sign of 
let's look at what's going on rather than the wedding itself is the make or break. I do have to wrap up the show, but um, you know, some, some things for you to think about at the end, you're going to have to make the decision that you feel right about. Right. Okay. Nice talking to you. Good luck. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That's the end of our show. Thanks to the caller there. And I'm here here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.